I'm not a big music video guy. Uh, They're good for showing before and like before chapels. So I just think uh, it's hard to make a good music video most yeah, of the time. Yeah, like most of these I'm looking at, I'm like, this is dumb. <laughs> it's just like stuff's going on. Like there's one uh, you guys played where the band's like underwater all of a sudden. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, no. We live in a time where the expectations for young people are pretty low. It seems like it's hard to be taken seriously when you're young, even in the church. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says to let no one look down on you for being young, but to set an example for others instead. Well, there's really no time like the present, so join me and my friends as we talk about what it means to be a young Christian today. My name's Alec, and this is Despised for Youth. There's, let's see, I Am They has some I want to say it's switch interesting play. ones. I'm trying to think. I Am They has the one where the guy dresses like a panda randomly. I think okay, that I one, what's that, that one? one? It's, uh, ah, oh, it's escaping me right now, but like, I know what it sounds like. And then they have the one where they're on boats for My Lighthouse. Um, oh, yeah, you yeah, know who's the best one. music videos? OK Go. They do. You know them? Yeah, they're like known for that. Yeah, we have like five or six of theirs, and they're like my favorite things to play at camp. They have the one where it's like a giant Rube Goldberg machine. The Umbrellas one. Yeah, the Umbrellas one. They have, have the one where that? it's like they do a thing and it happens in four seconds, and then they slow it down like 60 times, so it goes for like a four-minute song, and like when you see it slowed down, it's like there's so many little things that happen that match the song. And every time it's just like, how did they make this? And like, what is their budget? And like... What if something went wrong, you know, and they had to, like, redo it? All I can think when I see those big music videos is, like, how much are they paying all these people? Yeah, with and umbrellas? with uh, with OK Goes, there's always paint involved. Like, paint always explodes on them. And I'm like, what if you got it wrong and you have to redo it? Like, if you Ooh. have to redo it, you have to clean up all the paint, change your clothes. So it's like, I don't know if they just make sure it goes perfectly the one take or, like, why? I have no idea. Yeah, who knows? Have you seen the, crazy. the one where they're driving in the car? Yeah, that's another good one. That, that, like, that one especially changes. makes me be like, what is their budget? Because there's like a hundred guitars, like a hundred pianos. I think a lot of the guitars were borrowed, they said. Yeah, but like, who volunteers their guitar know. to get like hit by like a broom <laughs> or whatever? <laughs> and get some more. Same with the pianos. They just like slam the piano. I mean, oh, they're probably fine. It's things. just like, wow. And like, like, we got you Liberace's piano. And they're like, oh, wow, this is great. Whack! And like, how long did it take to set up? That's like hundreds of hours. Like, but they're really cool. In the end, I'm, I just look at them and I'm like, I would never even have a small drop of the patience that these guys or their production team must have to make these kind of things. And we're back at it again with another episode of Despised Cito. Despised Cito. Uh, in this episode, I also have Grant once again. Mm -hmm. um, we lied when we said that the last one was like the last one we would do in the same state. To be fair, we didn't know. We didn't know. So we're doubling down. We were very much more ambitious this weekend than we thought. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's a little bit odd because we just recorded one two days ago. So if you listen to last uh, episode, last fortnight, uh, you can't say the word fortnight anymore. That word's been ruined. Yeah, I was just going to say like everyone has a different connotation with that word now. And you kind of sound like a dork if you say it anyway. So, mm -hmm. uh, so last 
two yeah, weeks ago. By the time when this comes days. out, I'll be back in Alaska. Probably, You'll super right? be back in Alaska. Or will yeah. I be back from Alaska? When you, uh, when's this when coming you come out? back from Alaska? September 26th. No, you'll be in Alaska. Okay. You'll be in Alaska. So yeah, we're back again. Grant and I are going to do another episode here. We might be hearing a lot more from Grant, actually, because it turns out he and I, um, we kind of have some chemistry. Yeah, I wonder like what that's from, you know? I feel like, like I just get, he gets me. We just kind of think similarly about a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, we know like, each other pretty well. We both drink a lot of soda water, eat a mm -hmm. lot of hummus. And we I have think the that same last name. Kind of, That is true. That would have been weird if I had to change my last name because of marriage. But why, why am I saying this? Stream of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do have a, a stage name that I go by at camp, you know. Oh, yeah, you're Grant Grantley. Grant Grantley. That's what most everyone calls me at camp. In fact, everyone who this was their first summer... Most of them believe that was my real last name for a good half of the summer. Yeah, it was weird that no one no knew one what questioned my last it name was, and they, so they kept asking me because they weren't sure. Yeah, when you we showed related. up and I was like, "He's my brother," they were very confused because they were like, "Isn't your last name Grantly?" And I'm like, "Oh no, not actually." <laughs> I can't believe anyone would think that. Well, people call me it so much that. Maybe, did you start know. that joke or where did that come from it came from we made a video a few years it was like 2016 i think we made a video you know one of the echo oh, ranch news yeah. network videos and i just said it like offhandedly introducing myself hey this is grant grantley here it just came you know just popped into my head and it really stuck like stuck so much harder than i thought anything ever would apparently i mean i like it though yeah, it was even all the it's campers catchy. knew you as Grant Grantly. Mm -hmm. It's pretty catchy. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, they still, when I see campers in town or while I'm running or something, often they'll be like, Grant Grantly. I'm like, hey, that's not my real name, but hey. Yeah, whatever. At least they're calling you by your first name. No, yeah, I don't, I don't mind at all. They're trying. But anyways, one of Grant Grantly's... This this episode was actually kind of inspired by Grant Grantly. Um, not your persona, but you. Uh, to be clear, but uh, one thing that I always knew Grant was pretty into was the Old Testament. And I was like, that's weird. Where did that come? Actually, where did that come from? I don't know. I think I think it really started when, you know, last podcast we talked about moving. Um, and I think I mentioned how when we moved from Minnesota to Florida, that was a pretty big spiritually forming thing for me. And I think a big reason for that was, I mean, you know, the fact that we didn't really have any friends for a while um well no okay that doesn't really <laughs> cut that out but um, <laughs> i think that was because um we're just still sad about that yeah no <laughs> still sad. what i was thinking was like so i didn't really have anything else to do so i read my bible and i was like that's not really what happened <laughs> i don't really okay anyway um so I think it goes back to when we moved from Minnesota to Florida um as we mentioned in the other podcast that was just when um I don't know if the move kind of prompted it, but I really started to uh, take my faith more seriously, you know, think about things more. And part of that was reading my Bible a lot more regularly. Like, I don't really remember reading it much at all in Minnesota. Maybe I did a little bit in middle school, but especially in high school in Florida, um, I started doing, you know, a Bible reading plan where I would read through the whole Bible in a year. It probably was prompted by our dad say, you know, doing one of his, you know, January sermons as most pastors do on why you should read your Bible and how it's easy to go through it in a year. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll try it. And I found an easy one that takes you. I think the first one I did, 
it takes you through the whole Bible in a year. Um, and yeah, I think just reading the Old Testament and I would do that, you know, year after year. And by the end of high school, I was just like the Old Testament. There's a lot of really good parts about it that you just don't get much teaching on often, I think, in, you know, Sunday school, youth group, especially like Christian young people. I don't think they get very much good teaching on the Old Testament, but yeah, there's the a lot of good nowadays, stuff in there. They just know the they know Jonah, uh, Moses, Joseph, you know, the big Daniel, big stories like that. But um, not really so much of the, the nuances behind those stories and also uh, just the rest of the Old Testament, too. I think I definitely remember having almost no framework for what the Old Testament had, except for Genesis and Exodus. I knew what those were. But other than that, it's like if you said Hosea or like the book of, you know, first and second Samuel, I had no idea what those were. Well, you and, mentioned, you know, all the kids knowing, you know, Jonah, Moses, Daniel, all those stories. I think the big problem is that often those are taught, especially to young kids as sort of like Aesop's fables. You know, there are all these disconnected stories. I'm not saying that in church they teach those stories as you know actual fables like they're not true but i am saying i think they're often taught as just these separate stories that all kind of have their little lesson yeah and you don't really it you know you can just take a collection of them and learn them and they don't really relate to each other they're all kind of standalone and that's not true at all you know the bible is one big story fundamentally and it does have a lot of little stories in it but those little stories are like scenes in the bigger movie and I just don't think, I think it's catching on now to teach it more of that way. You know, you see resources out there, like uh, one that just jumps to mind is the big picture, like story Bible, something, you know what I'm talking about. Is that what it's called? It's like that kid's Bible. I know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, we might be getting the name slightly wrong, but it does, you know, take that whole framework of like the Bible's a one big story and here's how all the little stories, you know, relate to that big story. But I, I just remember us growing up. I never got that. You know, yeah, I definitely didn't get it for a while. And I think even now I'm still trying to understand it better. One instinct that I've kind of developed, and I think this is something that's very helpful to have, is when you hear passages quoted from the Old Testament, you get skeptical pretty quickly on whether uh, what it's being quoted to imply is actually what the verse is saying. Like we all know the, the verse... Um, well, apparently we don't all know it because I can't remember. It's the one they always print on shirts. It's like uh, the one from Habakkuk. Like I'm now I'm doing... Is it the one that's like, I'm doing a work in yeah. your day that like you wouldn't even believe if you saw it? Yeah. And it's portrayed as a good thing. But it's actually... But it's actually God saying, actually, Habakkuk, the destruction coming is worse than you think. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like people use things like that. Or the other, the, the other one I think of is this is like probably the biggest frustration I get when I see this verse the one from I believe it's second chronicles that says if my you know people pray and return to oh, me yeah. then I will bless yeah. them and it's put on election signs and things for America and I just want to scream whenever I see that that passage is not about America that was an exclusive promise to Israel it's not an open promise that any yeah. nation that does that God's gonna bless them no that's not it at all yeah there's just so much of the Old Testament is we we see the verse like second chronicles and we go oh that's that's in the Old Testament but we don't really know what the significance of that book is and so therefore when we when we see the verse out of context we don't we don't know the right context to put it in in our minds and so you have to go back and see it but ideally everyone would be familiar enough with things that they would they'd be able to feel out the meaning of it like if you went to you know you know if you went to Habakkuk 
uh, and studied it, you'd kind of understand what the main purpose is and, and what God is telling Habakkuk. And so if someone quoted that verse, you'd say, oh, well, I instantly know that it's actually talking about something that's, you know, not good, that something bad is going to happen to Israel. I think they were going to be overtaken by these different armies or something. And uh, you would just know. Why do you think it is that people just don't have this familiarity with the different books of the Old Testament? Well, I think part of the problem of the trend we were talking about of taking verses and little bits of the Old Testament and misinterpreting them, I think part of that comes from the fact that people are so used to being taught the New Testament in churches. You know, I think the New Testament is taught and preached on far more than the Old Testament. And the thing with the New Testament is you can take some verses and, you know, just use it as a verse. Like, it's not ideal to, Mm, you know, isolate a verse, but I can quote to you, you know, I don't know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you know, for by grace we have been saved through faith, etc. And you know exactly what that verse means, even though I don't give you the entirety of Ephesians 2 when I say it. You know, separating it from the chapter doesn't take away from it at all. The Old Testament, I think, is very much more, a lot of it, you know, is narrative and history, or even with the prophets, you know, you can't just take a line of a prophecy out and kind of use it alone because you got to know who's the prophecy being spoken to, what's going on, what's the context, you know, what's the time, you know. So even prophecies, I think, from, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc., it's not great to just take a verse out of there. But we're so used to being able to do that with the New Testament that we think we can do that with the Old Testament and not run into any issues with interpretation. I think we even do that outside of the Bible, where, uh, especially in politics or or just media in general, um, it's normal to just grab a piece of what someone said and try to characterize all of what they said. Sometimes it's done with intent one way or the other to make them look good or bad. And sometimes it's just because people's attention spans are short and it's easier to get someone to uh, listen to what you have to say or read what you wrote if you just do a condensed version. Recently, Joe Biden said something in a speech that I I just saw the one single quote from it. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a really stupid thing. I'm guessing he didn't mean it like he didn't try to say this mean thing or like be prejudiced, you know, whatever, whatever they were trying to characterize it to mean, um, whether you like Joe Biden or not. I think he probably slipped up. And I went back and I I, I looked at the thing and uh, I, I watched the video of his speech and I was like, yeah, it's a pretty stupid thing he said. But I, I don't think it's like he probably just speeches are hard, you know. Um, but the point is, like, you need to view it in the context and try and see the intent of it. Otherwise, you're just going to miss the point and you're going to end up getting the wrong characterization. And I think the most common way I've seen this uh, when people talk about the Old Testament is, uh, well, here's an example, actually. I was talking with this girl from an undergrad club I was in at UF about a church. And so I I knew she was a Christian and I I don't remember how it came up, but uh, we were talking about whether or not, um, like, women pastors or maybe it was like gay marriage or something I don't know but she ended up saying well yeah yeah, it was definitely gay marriage or something like that because um she's like well you know it's like yeah it says that in the old testament but it also says you're supposed to like stone witches and you're supposed to like you can't touch dead animal skins and you can't eat pork and and we do that so you know what's the problem and um you know at face value you think like oh yeah that's that's a good point we don't do those things anymore uh but there's a very good reason that we don't do those anymore is because those commands were not given to us. They were mm-hmm. given to Israel. And at the time, they were supposed to do that. And it was there for a reason. But those aren't things that 
we're commanded to do anymore. And so if you don't have that understand, actually, that's even bigger. That's like a covenantal issue. But the point is, like, if you just take it out of there and you don't understand what's going on in the narrative, like, it doesn't do you any good. You're just pulling bits that mean nothing because you don't have uh, something that connects them all together. Yeah, I think what we're hitting on there, though, is just a symptom of the larger problem. We've covered, you know, the symptom sort of of thinking that you can just isolate things from the Old Testament. And yeah, I think the biggest instance of that that you mentioned is when people say, oh, the, you know, the Bible, you can't use that as morality because it says that you can't even wear, you know, two kinds of fabric mixed together. People just, yeah, the bigger problem is that people don't have an understanding of what the Old Testament is and what the different parts there are for. Yeah, you can't really say it any better than that. They just don't know what it's for. And I think the best way to fix that is you read it and you understand it. One thing I often do, especially with the Old Testament when I don't understand it, and I think I've said this before, is I like to go watch some YouTube video or read a summary about the book. So you kind of have a big picture of what's going on. And then when you read it, it's a lot easier. Most study Bibles have a summary and key points at the beginning. I often like to watch the Bible Projects videos, you know, whether you fully agree with that or not. It gives you a good summary. And so you know what's going on. And that makes it easier to find out how the gospel narrative and how uh, God's greater work on the earth is is flowing through that particular part of the Bible. Yeah, you don't need to be like a Bible scholar here. You don't need to go get a degree in this to understand. It is as simple as, I love those introductions you get to books at the beginning of each book in some study Bibles that just give you in one page, you know, the basics of what that book is, who wrote it, the time period. It's as simple as understanding those. And I think the biggest thing you can try to learn about a book of the Old Testament is what's the genre? And that sounds kind of lofty to say, oh, what's the genre, you know? But <laughs> but what I mean is just, it's as simple as, is this a history book? Is this a book of poetry? Is this a book of prophecy? You know, th those are kind of the big categories in the Old Testament. And they that make it- you a lot. Yeah, you know, when people- criticize the Bible for being not scientific because they say, oh, in the Bible, it says that the heavens, you know, the sky is like a scroll. And it's like, well, no, that's poetry. That's in the Psalms. The Psalms are not a science textbook. The Psalms are not a history textbook. They're poetry. So it's as simple as understanding things like that. Uh, that will go a long way in helping you figure out how to interpret and make sense of a book of the Old Testament. Yeah, and I think it can be daunting to look at, uh, you know, all, all the books in the Old Testament, or really just all the books in the Bible and say, like, how am I going to know what all these are about? And I think it comes down to just knowing the general idea of what the book is about, just just something, like maybe a one-sentence summary that, that can be helpful. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, this kind of idea now that I'm, I'm going to be starting med school and I think, wow, how am I going to have to learn like all these different nerves and muscles and bones and, uh, you know, medications. And, and I realized, well, I used to play a lot of League of Legends and I knew every single item in the game, what it cost, its stats and its specific effects. So I can do this. The problem is like, I, you know, it's not, it's not something that's as easy. And I think we can kind of view these books of, of the Bible and say, you know, I could probably name 66 TV shows and give you the generally what they're about. Mm -hmm. And if we just kind of view it like that, you know, you can do it. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's something that you got to work up to. But, you know, as you go about reading the Bible, maybe maybe like keep a journal or something and just just write the name of the Bible. And then when or the book of the Bible. And then once you've read it, just be like, 
Genesis. It's about creation and, and what happens with like the early people uh, on the earth and like the start of Abraham and, and that whole thing. You know, I don't know. That's pretty rudimentary, but you know, whatever works. Yeah. And admittedly for me, you know, there's some books of the Old Testament when I get back to reading them, I'm like, Nahum, like, I know that's a minor <laughs> prophet, but that's about all I remember about him. But it's simple Google search, you know, when, you know, when was this written? Who's he writing to? What's the general idea? Okay, I think I know enough to start reading. And I'm probably still not going to understand much in some of these books. You know, there's chapters of some of these prophets where I'm reading and I'm thinking, I don't really totally understand what's what's going on. You know, I can read this and get a very general idea of, okay, there's judgment coming on the Assyrians for something. <laughs> And, you know, there's always more you can learn about it. But even if you just have that basic understanding, you can at least uh, kind of protect yourself against any errors in interpretation in some of the content of those books. Yeah, we've all read Daniel and read the first, like, six books and been like, Daniel's great. This is, you know, it's it's so interesting and a lot's going on. Daniel's such a cool guy. And then you get to the second half and you're like, whoa, 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 uh-huh. what? What is all this? And and the funny thing about that is uh, Daniel had those visions and he didn't even know what they meant. So, you know, relax if you can't understand every single thing that you read right when you read it. It takes some, some work. Get a study Bible. It's very helpful. You know, I'm always looking on... Uh, on commentaries because there's a lot I don't understand. Uh, And again, the ultimate goal is not so much to have a great understanding of every little bit of the Old Testament. You just want to figure out how each part of it relates to the bigger story of the Bible, you know, that saying, don't miss the forest for the trees, you know, and here it's actually really true. You don't want to get so caught up in trying to understand all the different, uh, people groups and you know the timeline of everything uh the most important thing you can do when you're reading the old testament is figure out how does this relate to the bigger story of the bible you know the ultimate uh story of basically us you know sinning against god um in the perfect creation he had made and god making a plan to redeem us through christ yeah i actually i gotta fault myself for uh daniel i just read it not that long ago and i realized um, I thought I knew what it was about because I know all the things that happened with Daniel and, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and I know he has these visions and a little bit what they're about, but I don't know how that generally relates to the greater story of salvation. So that's something I would probably want to look back and, and really figure out how it ties into the gospel. Uh, and that's actually one thing I really like about the Old Testament is I feel like every time I read it, I figure out more of that. You know, with the New Testament, sometimes... I mean, I'm not saying the New Testament's bad or anything, but I'm just saying you read a book of the New Testament, you know, an epistle, and it's pretty straightforward. You know, it's what I'm saying is there's not a whole lot of uh, hidden stuff there you can find, I guess. You know, it's it's still great, obviously. But what I'm saying is in the Old Testament, I feel like every time I read it, I find something new that I go, oh, that's pointing to Christ in a way that I never really saw before. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about the Old Testament is how everything points to Jesus in different ways. And um, I had a friend who is Jewish, and I uh, one time I was just talking with them, and I said, what is it uh, that, or, I don't know how I said it, but I said, like, why is it that the Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Because I really don't know. And, and, you know, they told me some reasons why, and they asked me, you know, why are you so convinced he's the Messiah? And I was like, wow, I've never been asked that before, actually, like in this sort of context by someone who also believes in God. Um, 
And one thing I told them was, you know, there's all these things in the Old Testament, and these are pictures of what's going to happen to Jesus. And and like, if you look at those, and then you look at Jesus, there's a clear, uh, a clear connection. And um, hopefully they went and looked in, I don't know. But um, I, I just thought that was really cool that that's something that gives us like evangelistic knowledge too, when it comes to talking with uh, to Jewish people as well. Yeah, one thing that uh i've been listening to a lot this year is another podcast the white horse Inn. great theology podcast but they're doing a series this year on the gospel of john and what they've been doing throughout it is they point out so many little things in john that jesus does very intentionally that echo old testament things so there's been a lot i've learned this year from that series about very small things or like details that john points out or that jesus says where it's very deliberately referencing something in the Old Testament. And it just shows that uh, the point of that book is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament uh, signs and prophecies. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I'll, de- I'll definitely have to go listen to that. I haven't listened to White Horse Inn in a while, but that sounds interesting. Uh, that brings up another point, though, that I think would be good for us to talk about. There's kind of this idea in certain circles of Christianity that, uh, you know, we'll just say it, if you're, if you're a big fan of Andy Stanley, or you're an Andy family, as we say in the industry. Um, That's what we call him. If you're you're a fan of Andy Stanley, you'll be familiar with his general idea that the New Testament is what we need to focus on. And I think he uses the word unhinging from the Old Testament. Uh, But generally speaking, there's this idea that the New Testament is what we're supposed to do now. So who really cares about what happened in the past? Because, you know, that's all said and done. We have Christ. Let's focus on what we do now. But why is it that we can't do that? Well, the first problem with that is that um, the analogy I use for this all the time, especially when I'm talking to kids about why the Old Testament is important for them to learn, is if you walk into a movie late, you know, I feel like I remember our family always getting to the movie theater late. And if you walk into a movie a few minutes late, it could be really hard for you to understand what's going on because maybe something important happens. What about walking into a movie when it's two thirds of the way through? You know, maybe you show up to a friend's house and they're watching a movie and it's like two thirds of the way through. You sit down, start to watch it. By the end of the movie, you could probably get a pretty basic idea of what the movie was about. You might figure out who the main character is and what they were trying to do, but you missed a lot, you know, and if you... Inception like that. Yeah. Oh, man. If you started Inception around hour two, you would be hopelessly lost. And so the image there with the Bible is, you know, by the time Jesus shows up, so much has happened. So much of the story has already gone by. And if you only learn the New Testament, yeah, you'll you'll figure out, you know, the basics of salvation and what Jesus did. But you would understand it so much better if you knew what was going on in the Old Testament. I think another part of that is, is also... uh, like, who do you think you are, honestly, that like you're you've understood this so well that you don't need it anymore? Like the people who wrote the New Testament that, you know, you only want to focus on, they were wild about the Old Testament. Paul is always bringing it up. People are always drawing back to it. And so it's saying something important. And that's what we're saying now is the fulfillment of what was said before. And it, you can't just get rid of that. Like, you can't just take the application. It's like you can't go to a sermon and just listen to the application because that doesn't give you the reasoning behind it or or kind of the, uh, 
I mean, this is where the analogy falls apart, but it doesn't give you the encouragement based on what God has done to do those things. And so that's why if you just go to the New Testament as like, this is what we're supposed to do now, and you unhinge it from the grand narrative that God is creating, you're just left with less. To assume that you can do that and not be in some way hindered by that is kind of, I would say it's a little bit arrogant because that's not what God is intending for us to do. There's a reason the Bible has been preserved as it is for so long. And I think part of that is, you know, God's sovereignty. And if he if he had intended for us to not use the Old Testament anymore, I, I have to think that would have somehow been carried out through what he had done in the world or uh, just how he led church leaders during the um, the early days of the church. Yeah, that's a little speculation on my part. Yeah, well, exactly. Going along with that and going along with the analogy I just gave, I think some people could hear that explanation and analogy and think, okay, well, sure, I'll read in, I'll read a summary of the Old Testament, and then I'll start really reading the New Testament, you know, because that's where Jesus is, you know, he's in the New Testament. The problem with that is, just like you were saying, the Old Testament is just as important because Jesus is actually in the Old Testament too. And the analogy I give for this is... Um, if you're familiar with the story of the Phantom of the Opera, you know, the main character is the Phantom, right? But the Phantom doesn't show up until a good bit into the movie or play. And then after he shows up for the first time, there's still a lot of scenes where he's not in the scene, but he's still speaking sometimes. And even if like he's not in it at all, the scene is still about him. You know, and that's kind of how the Bible is throughout the Old Testament. uh, Jesus obviously is not walking on the earth in the Old Testament, but he's still working in every story and speaking in every scene, even if, you know, it's a big chunk of the story. I'm not saying that every single verse of the Old Testament is going to scream about Jesus. You know, (laughs) that's a weird way of putting it. But but what I am saying is that... The rocks will cry out, Grant. Yeah. What I'm saying is that it's not just that the Old Testament is kind of the backstory, you know, the prologue where you read it and you're like, okay, now I now I got that. Don't really have to read that again. Jesus is just as much in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. That's why you can't just throw it out or treat it as uh, lesser than the New Testament. Yeah, exactly. And in some ways, I think the Old Testament is uniquely encouraging to us. Like when I was reading Daniel, one thing you're struck by in Daniel, well, first of all, you can read it wrong and you can say, well, I should be a Daniel. I should dare to Mm -hmm. be a Daniel. But that's not the point. The point of Daniel is that God was faithful, not that Daniel was faithful. Because it doesn't matter if Daniel was faithful, if God wasn't. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they, they give this thing where they say, basically, God can save us, he will save us. And should he choose not to... And so if we look at that and we say, oh man, this is what I need to be like, we're missing the point. And you see this through all the parts of the of the Old Testament where you have Joseph's story and you could look at it wrong and say, I should be like Joseph. But no, the point is that God was faithful to Joseph. And I find it encouraging to see like all the things that God does in the Old Testament and how even when Israel's disobedient, like there are times where he... Uh, you know, he punishes them or, or he lets them kind of do their own thing for a while. But the overall the overall uh, message from the prophets is like God wants you back, like he's jealous for you. And he, all he wants is for you to turn and repent and come back and stop chasing after idols. We get this idea that God is really mean in the Old Testament and that he's not loving until Jesus comes around. But the whole point is like Israel just kept rejecting him and leaving. And so he's like showing them it's like trying to teach them and guide them back to him so that they can see that they need him, but 
the whole motivation of that is his love for them. And I think those that's that's something we see of God that we just don't see as much in the old in the New Testament. Um, and I, I think it's a, a unique part of that that we don't get if we if we only read the New Testament. Yeah, and I think that's another issue about the, how the Old Testament is often taught. Um, like I said earlier, I think it's often taught like Aesop's fables, not only in the sense that, you know, it's all these disconnected stories that all have their own little lesson, but often it's taught where they teach a story and the main character of the story is the one you're supposed to aspire to. You know, you should be more like David, you should be more like Daniel, like you were saying, um, but like you were just hitting on, that's not the point. And I think the good news, though, is that the more you understand the Old Testament, the more that way of thinking about it just kind of naturally falls apart. Because the more you know about these characters and about what actually happens in the stories, the more you'll be like, huh, I don't think that David is the best role model, actually. You know, there's obviously the thing with Bathsheba you could hit on. One thing that stood out to me recently from a White Horse Inn podcast I was listening to on the Gospel of John is the part where Jesus talks about all the shepherds who came before him being uh, thieves and liars. He doesn't just say most of them, or he doesn't say they all fell short. He said, all the shepherds who came before me are thieves and liars. And the hosts were talking about how um, that and the context around it are actually, you know, David is included in that reference. So what he's saying, I guess what we're getting there is that the Old Testament is not this collection of heroes and villains, and you can follow the example of the good guys and learn from the bad guys. That's not the point. The point is, it's that it's all actually about Jesus and all the characters you have in it, whether they do some good things or whether they fall short. Um, it's all pointing to Jesus as being the better fulfillment, you know, for in the example of David, Jesus is the greater David. Uh, and you can point to any other character of the Old Testament and see how w whether that character does things that are good or whether that character falls short. Ultimately, it's pointing to our need for Jesus to come and be the ultimate hero of the Bible. Exactly. Um, so we're getting pretty close to the middle of the podcast here. So we are going to take a listener mail break because we actually have some listener mail that I have decided to read. So uh, I don't have a jingle for this, but listener mail. Doo -doo 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 -doo. This piece of mail comes to us from Ken H. And he says, I was listening to DFY very intently and with great tenaciousness when a voice compelled me to karate chop my son Luke in the neck. I was indeed at home with my AirPods in, and Luke was very close by. As I repeatedly karate chopped him in the neck, he cried out, What? Why are you doing this? I told him that he told me to do it in a podcast, and he said, What? The podcast is out. I laughed. Luke laughed. The toaster laughed, and I shot it. Great podcast, guys. Also, Trey goes to Creekside? When I heard that, I felt like I was watching an M. Night Shyamalan movie. What does he look like? As the cool kids say, peace out. We appreciate your feedback, Ken. I'm glad to know that Luke is receiving uh, some discipline at home. You know, like that kid's wild. He could use it sometimes. Uh, again, if you want to write to us, our email is despiseforyouth at gmail.com. I would love to read more if we get some more interesting stuff or, you know, genuine questions or anything like that. But that concludes today's listener mail break. All right, Grant. So where we left off, you just mentioned that Jesus is the greater fulfillment of all these people in the Bible, like the example of David, how Jesus is like the greater king of Israel. And of course, we're talking about uh, the redeemed Israel, not through Abraham and in terms of lineage, but in terms of faith. Uh, I can think of a lot of examples in the Old Testament, and these are often stories that are 
I would say misinterpreted and applied to ourselves as a, you know, dare to be a Daniel sort of way. So should we talk about some of those and uh, maybe go over how how we see Jesus in the Old Testament and and maybe what we get from that? Yeah. Did you have one you want to start with or is that my choice? (laughs) The one that I had in mind was Joseph because that's the first one that always comes to mind for me. Um, These are called theophanies, right? Uh, Yeah, that would be a appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, but not in the sense that uh, it's actually Jesus. You know, it's more of a, well, actually, let me, let me make sure. Let me ch- fact check this. Fact check with Grant Grant. Um, no, I think a theophany would be where it's actually Jesus in the Old Testament. So some people think Melchizedek is a theophany where it's actually Jesus. I don't think that's widely believed. I've just heard that argument before. Um, I think what we're looking for is more like allusions or, you know, there's probably other words we could use where it's a reference to Jesus, an image of Jesus, but it's not Jesus himself. Right. Well, anyways, Joseph is definitely one of those. Um, Everyone knows the story of Joseph where, you know, he's sold into slavery and then he ends up being uh, the king of, well, basically second to Pharaoh in Egypt. And so he he saves uh, his family through that. And so this is definitely a picture of Jesus because we see really all of Jesus or all the parts of Jesus life that are the gospel story in the life of Joseph where Jesus, you know, he's sold into slavery more or less. He's, he's, he bears the weight of our sin and he's, he's punished wrongfully and accused of things he didn't do, but then he's, uh, he's exalted and he's, from his exalted position, he saves Israel. And so in this case, Joseph saves literal Israel, but Jesus saves the Israel Paul talks about. Yeah, I think you hit on the big themes of that story that relate to Jesus. One thing I love about this story is, and I'm not an expert on it, but I've heard it taught by a number of really uh, good pastors who point out all the ways it points to Christ. And there's even like a lot of little ways that are in there. And that's what I was saying earlier about every time you read the Old Testament, you can find new things that point to Christ. Um, With Joseph, I would think about maybe um, the idea that he's, you know, he faces injustice, um, just like Jesus had an unjust trial, you know, Joseph is put into prison. And then even after the whole dream thing, you know, where the guy was supposed to, uh, you know, let him out because of the dream thing. He doesn't get what he deserves there. He gets injustice and he stays in prison, but he's still faithful through that. You know, he suffers uh, faithfully. Oh, you also can't forget the uh, the part that Jesus is, or Joseph is betrayed by his literal family. Mm-hmm. And it's like Jesus was betrayed not only by Judas, but essentially all of humanity turned away from God and, and, and betrayed uh, betrayed him in a sense. And uh-huh. so there's there's something there too. But on another level, also Joseph was betrayed by Israel, right? Because, you yeah, know, it's exactly. literally like the tribes of Israel, you know, they're the original, you know, all of them. Uh, he was betrayed by them. And in a sense, you know, when Jesus came, he did fulfill the prophets by putting Israel kind of under the under the gavel? Is that a real saying or am I making that under, up? Under the knife? What I, I don't know. I'm, what I'm saying, saying, he's basically like putting them on trial and saying, hey, Israel, I've been telling you for hundreds, thousands of years, you know, to listen to me, to obey the covenant, but you haven't been doing that. You know, when Jesus came, he basically rehashed all those prophecies and, you know, he wept over Jerusalem because he was saying like, basically there he was saying, Israel, 
I've been trying so hard to get you to listen to me and love me, but you just won't. And so Jesus, you know, in one sense, he was betrayed by everyone. It's not like Israel is, you know, it's not like Jews are more guilty than anyone else. That's not what I'm saying. But Israel was under a covenant, you know, with God that they betrayed. And Jesus indicts them for that in the same way Joseph was betrayed by um, the tribes of Israel. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I, d- I was just sitting here thinking Israel in the Old Testament is kind of like a like an unfriendly cat. Where it's like, you know, he keeps feeding it and taking care of it. And it's like, why won't you cuddle? I think the important thing to point out there, though, is, you know, some people would accuse us or whoever says that of anti-Semitism. But the point isn't that Israel um, is guilty because of their race. It's that they were guilty because they were the ones under a covenant that they violate has nothing to do with their race. Yeah. And and the other thing is, um, there's also the the comparison of Israel being the... uh, Kind of the representative of mankind is that yeah what yeah at? and also you know we are we are of Israel too because we're saved and it's like we're not we're no different like we do the exact same thing and have done the exact same thing and in fact we have an advantage now because uh, people now have the Holy Spirit but yeah th- there's in no way judging on uh, on Israel because if we had been a part of Israel we would have done the exact same thing. You know, it's just we live now and these are the lives we have. And it's like you can't look back at Adam and say, you know, if only I had been there, I wouldn't have. No, you would have done it. Adam was like the perfect representative and like Israel was the representative of of our Israel, too, in a sense. More than that. And this is something that I think it's hard, especially for. I mean, I feel lofty again saying like Americans because I am an American. I've been out of the country for like two weeks of my life but i do think it's hard for americans to grasp this is that it's not only you would have done the same thing if you were adam it's that you did it through adam you know he is not just a representative of you in some sense he is you know mankind and so it's like you are guilty for what adam did and that's something that we hear and we're like what no you know i'm an individual I am responsible only for my own actions. You know, it's a hard idea for us to grasp, but the Bible teaches that, no, you are guilty of what Adam did. It's very, very lofty. But I think we're straying away a little bit from the story of Joseph, but one way I think we can bring it back is that I think the thing I love most about the story of Joseph is that after um, he gets out of, well, long after he gets out of prison, you know, he's been second in command of Egypt for a while and his brothers come to him. His response to them is not getting revenge it's not giving them what they deserve you know he loves them he has nothing but compassion for them when they come and he well ultimately you know there's a little mischief and trickery involved i guess but ultimately what he does is he welcomes them back and forgives them for what they did and just like i think you said this earlier there's the whole thing about what you meant for evil god meant for good so he does not get revenge on his brothers at all but rather he welcomes them into the royal family even though the only way he got there is by them betraying him and trying to kill him yeah yeah exactly well, I think we about did that one to death, so yeah. we move on to another one. One that I um, like a lot, but I think is often portrayed, like you said earlier, incorrectly as you should be more like this character is uh, the sacrifice of Isaac, you know, Abraham going up to offer Isaac on the mountain. There's a lot in there. Um, there's even something, so there's even subtle details like the fact that I've heard that the mountain that uh, Abraham and Isaac went up could have been the same mountain that Jesus was crucified on. It was at least in the same area. 
um, Mount Moriah. But would be really perfect if it was. Yeah, but anyway, for although I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with the story, the story is that um, this is shortly after God has given Abraham the covenant that, you know, his offspring are going to be like the stars in the sky. And Sarah, you know, she laughs because she's like, I'm barren. How is that possible? Um, but God does give her a child, and she actually names the child Isaac, which means laughter. laughter, right? So that laughter is, you know, first it was laughter of kind of disbelief when she first heard the promise, but then it's laughter of joy when she actually has Isaac. I think there's even uh, something deep there about the idea of laughter in his name. But then the laughter comes to an end one day when we don't know exactly how old Isaac was, but he was a young man, at least old enough to go and work and move around, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because God tells Abraham, hey, you need to take Isaac, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And if you go to the text, it repeats it just like that. He says, take your son, Isaac, your only son, whom you love, It's like God saying, hey, you know that son that you've been waiting for and that you didn't think you were going to get and that is your only hope of my covenant being fulfilled? Yeah, take him and go kill him. Take him and offer him as a sacrifice for your sin. And God is completely just in telling Abraham to do that, right? You know, Abraham is a sinful human. Um, There's a quote from some theologian that's escaping me, but it's basically for God to ask Abraham to give, you know, the fruit of his body in his son uh, for his sin was not too high of a price to ask. Like God was just in telling him to take Isaac and kill him for an offering for sin. <coughs> Did you have anything to add there? I should just keep going. You can keep going. Um, so Abraham, he takes Isaac and they go out on a journey to this mountain. Plenty of time to think about that on the journey, I'm sure. I'm sure Abraham was thinking the whole time, how is this going to work? How is it possible that God can fulfill the promise he made to me not long ago about having this offspring who's going to save the world and multiplying my offspring like the stars? How is that going to be possible if this miracle child that we were given is killed? And somewhere along the way, I think Abraham came to, he came to the faith that God was somehow going to work this out. Because when they get to the mountain, uh, Abraham tells his servants, if you look in the text, he tells his servants, me and the boy are going to go up on that mountain and then we will return to you. And he could be lying there, you know, he could just be hiding his intentions from his servants. But he also could be saying that somehow He's going to go offer Isaac, but somehow they're also going to return. You know, God is going to do both. He's still going to keep his promise alive by keeping Isaac alive. Abraham had no idea how he was going to do it, but he did believe Mm -hmm. in God's promise there. And so um, he does take Isaac up. He does take him up to the uh, altar, puts him on the altar. Isaac even somewhere along the way is like, hey, dad, where is the lamb that we're going to kill? And Abraham tells him, God will provide the lamb. And when they get up there, he puts Isaac on the altar. And Isaac was old enough that he could carry the wood. He could surely fight off his old man, right? Yeah. He could have he resisted. He figured it out. He too, could at have some run away. I'm sure he figured it out by the time he was tied to the altar, you know, and like <laughs> Abraham was holding the knife. I'm sure. He's like, this isn't how we normally. I'm sure Isaac was like, something's wrong here. But Isaac did not run away. He willingly submitted to the sacrifice, right? He did not open his mouth, just like it says in Isaiah 53, right? He was willing to go. But then, of course, um, as Abraham's about to do it, 
God stops him and says, wait, Abraham, don't do that. There's a ram in the thicket over there, a ram caught in the thicket. You're going to offer that up instead. And that's when the place gets its name, which means the Lord will provide. That's what Abraham names it. Just like, as he said earlier, the Lord will provide the lamb, Isaac. And so all of that, you know, I've heard this story taught before, like, you need to be like Abraham. You you need to be willing to sacrifice whatever is most precious to you, to God. And maybe there's some truth to that, but that's not what this story is about. This story is all about God providing the sacrifice. And Isaac is a picture of Christ, right? But then you also get the picture of Christ of God provides on the mountain the sacrifice for our sins. And he did that, you know, however many thousands of years later, he did that by providing Christ possibly on the same mountain as a sacrifice for our sins. Yeah, I have to wonder if people like Abraham would, if they knew what was being taught nowadays, people being told, like, you need to be like Abraham, have faith, if he would be like, no, like, please don't, you know, like, I'm sure a lot of these Bible characters would would probably be appalled that some people are saying you just need to be like this person, because I, I'm sure Abraham, like, he did have faith there, but that was hard. Like, I, uh-huh. I, do, I doubt he was like a stalwart through that whole thing and just, like, didn't, budge yeah i think the point here is that abraham was not offering up isaac because he just loved god so much that he was willing to do anything the point is he was offering isaac up because he believed god is somehow going to keep his promise to me you know like i said he might have even been thinking somehow isaac is going to come back from the dead here you know just like it says in hebrews when it talks about this story it does say Abraham believed that God could even raise the dead and figuratively he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So the New Testament itself says there that Abraham was doing this because he was believing that God could raise Isaac from the dead, not because he had perfect faith, not because he just had such great devotion to God that he was willing to do anything. No, that's actually like monstrous when you think about it. And I think someone who doesn't understand the Bible well would look at this story and say, what a horrible God. He wants people to sacrifice their children to show how much they love him. And no, actually the only person uh, who's sacrificing their child out of love in the Bible is God himself. So this story is just a picture of that. And actually, I think this story uh, turns on its head a lot of the, uh, excuse me, it does turn on its head the child sacrifice that did happen to the pagan gods at this time. You know, if this was a pagan story, probably would have ended with Abraham actually killing Isaac. But God is saying, that's not how I do things. I'm the one who's making the sacrifice here. Yeah. And one thing we can we can take away from this story, if we do want to look at Abraham and and, uh, admire the faith that he has, and you know, there's the part in Hebrews that people like to call the hall of faith. And that kills me every time I hear that. Cause that's just too lame. It's, it's such too a corny. can't, can't stand it. Um, what we can do is we can look at that and, and we can see what Paul says about Abraham in there and how Paul talks about Abraham's faith. And we can say, you know, who, where does this faith come from? And how did Abraham get this faith? He didn't muster it up himself. Like God gave him that faith. And if, if, you know, if we say, I want a faith like Abraham's, you don't get that by by trying to be like Abraham. You get that from God. You pray to God for faith. And yeah, and the faith came from the promise that God yeah. gave to Abraham. That's what the source of the faith was, especially because you can tell that for sure because when he first made that promise to Abraham, neither Abraham nor Sarai believed right, in exactly. that initially. They actually really only started to believe after God fulfilled it. Yeah, we can look at 
the promises of God and say, those are big and look at the faith that uh, we see other people show in the Bible and say, like, that's comforting because God gives these big promises and those are hard to hold on to. But God, we know God gives us the faith to believe him that he's going to be faithful in those promises too. All right. Just, just knocked another one out of the park. Uh, Should we do one more? Um, Can you think of another one you want to do? I, I can think of a couple. There's like Daniel, there's David, um, we got Moses, who else? Nehemiah, well, Nehemiah might be a little obscure. <laughs> okay, let's go with let's go with David, because uh, I think there's a, a really classic problem that happens when, when people read David and Goliath, and, and you think like, what does Goliath stand for? Uh, who does David represent? And there's a- What are the five smooth stones that I can find to slay the giants yeah, in my life? Um, we got we got prayer. We got mm-hmm. daily Bible reading. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably like some- The laying on of hands Self-confidence. Uh, yoga. Yeah, don't forget, don't forget yoga. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's, that's five. five right yeah, there. that's five. We got it. Um, yeah, obviously no. So Goliath is not your giant. Like he is not- your your boss that you have difficulty with. He's not like your your addiction to. It's not whatever. your depression. It's not your depression. Your your anxiety. Uh, your lack of friends. It's, it's nothing like that. I mean, Goliath is your giant. Yeah, don't get me wrong. But like the point is, it's nothing. No, it's not a problem you have, and you need to be a David. It's you are the the Israelites who can't do anything, and you're afraid because you know if someone goes and fights Goliath and loses, or like if you fought him, you die, obviously, but also you'd be enslaved to the the Philistines? Yeah. This is embarrassing. Yeah, Um, the Philistines. And um, David is obviously Jesus because David's the one who slays Goliath. Goliath is our sin. Goliath is like the, the, the prince of the power of the air. You know, he's like, he's, he represents the the dark forces that have control over us through sin like evil i'm yeah. stumbling here yeah yeah evil he represents evil basically and like we can't stop him that's the whole point it's like you can't beat goliath he's a big guy and like that's why we need someone to defeat that giant for us like mm-hmm. you can't you can't say like i'm going to do this because that's not the point yeah you're not david you're not david as matt chandler says in his classic quote you're not david well, then we're not we going to include that because we just said that. <laughs> yeah. You're the Israelites who, you know, you are you were cheering David on, right? Right before he started the battle, you were like, yeah, David, go get him. No, that's not what they were doing. Yeah, they didn't, even, they didn't even believe he was going to do it. That's who you are in this story. I didn't think he could. You, you're trying to talk him out of it because you didn't think he could do it. That's yeah. who we are. Yeah. And, and I think there's there's some risk here of saying like, oh, you're just gonna, everyone's just going to dump dump on us you know you're not david you're just the lame is okay like we need to look at this realistically and say do you honestly think like you're equipped with all these things like is your source of bravery and strength you it's not like we we all can see inside of ourselves and we know that there's not a lot of good there we know there's not a lot of strength and courage and if we if we say like i'm going to do this and i'm going to have strength and courage and faith we we're not going to be able to do it. And I think experience and just being put in these situations proves that. So it's not to say like, you know, you're an idiot if you think this, it's just very, it's just very wrong. And that's why it's easy to, to uh, say this, like it's some, some big stupid mistake you might make. But ultimately, like if we put our trust in Christ as our savior, we're being what the Israelites were. I mean, you know, we're not being what they were in, in that moment, but we're we're entrusting that Christ is going to 
defeat sin for us and he's going to rescue us. It's not something where Christ gives you everything you need. That's not the point. And so like we're not the main character of these stories because we're not the hero in our story. We're the we're the beneficiaries of what the hero does. And and we just need to we got to have that mindset when we approach a lot of these stories. Well, and if you teach it like you could be David if you find the five smooth stones, you know, as it's often taught, that sounds good for a minute, but that's actually way worse news than teaching that Jesus is David and he's going to do it all for you. Because if you teach it like you can be David, you can slay your giants, that might pump you up for a minute. But when you actually try to go ahead and do that and you fail, the realization you're going to come to when you fail to defeat the giants in your life is, oh, I'm just not good enough. And maybe yeah. maybe you could try harder, but you're still going to fail. And ultimately, the lesson there is, well... I guess if you can't do it, you just like, that's your fault. You know, Yeah, Tori and I went to, uh, I don't think you were there for this, but we went to church with some people one time. And part of the sermon was, was saying, uh, it was about fear. And they were saying that fear in God or fear in Jesus can't exist in the same space. So when we have more Jesus, like fear goes away. All right. That's a big problem. If that, if I struggle with fear, then, because what does that mean? I'm not saved. I don't have Christ. Like, I don't, or at least I'm I'm severely lacking. If if we view any of these lacks of ours as uh, being a deficiency in our faith or whatever, we have to fall back on I'm not saved because of what I did. I'm saved because of what the person saving me did, and that that's just pretty much you know we can't say it any any other way really. It's you know your your problems are going to be there, and and Christ is enough to help you through them. But it's he's it's not you're going to just muster up strength either from yourself or he's going to instantly give it to you. And so we, we can't have this mindset of um, if I'm not slaying my giants, I'm just, I just don't have enough faith or I'm not doing enough of this. Maybe sometimes you're going through those because that's through, uh, that's what God teaches us through and grows us through. That's kind of a simplification, but you know, I feel comfortable saying that. Yeah, basically so many problems arise when you try to put yourself at the center of the story, even if it's just focusing on how you can be freed from your fear if you follow Jesus enough, you know? The problem with that is that you're at the center of the story when actually, yeah. if the pastor was preaching to me about what Jesus had done for me, that might start to cast out my fear. But if you tell me first, don't be afraid, you know, and you make it like a command, that's a problem because I can't live up to any commands. It's kind of like... Um, there's some, I feel like it's a C.S. Lewis quote, but I don't know this for sure. It's something to the effect of like, happiness is like a cat in that if you go looking for it, you know, and you're trying to get it, you're not going to be able to catch it. But if you wait for it to come to you, then it might. I think that's true of a lot of things. I might be, you know, stretching that quote to not be C.S. Lewis. It's okay because it's a, it's maybe a C.S. Lewis quote. It's not a Bible verse, so I can stretch it to fit my meaning. What I'm getting at here is if you are preaching to people or, you know, whatever, trying to get rid of their fear, trying to make them less depressed, and that's your goal, and you go straight for that, you're not going to accomplish it. What you need to do is preach Christ, show them what Christ has done through every story of the Bible, and that often has the effect of helping them with fear and depression. But that's because that's not the point, you know, that's not the main goal. The main goal is showing them Christ. Yeah, definitely. And uh, well, I think that about that about does it for the Old Testament, I would say. Uh, and just to kind of put a final note on that, um, I think we kind of can talk a little bit like very direct and, and be very blunt about 
misinterpretations of the Old Testament. And to be fair, if if anyone has kind of been misled by this, I would say it's more the fault of the, the Christian teachers who are over them than anything else. It's not necessarily that person's fault if they've if they've just been under that teaching i would say so i i hope it doesn't come across like we're just saying like people are idiots if they think this because i think we've certainly all kind of been there and had to learn um what what the correct meaning of these things is and um i just feel the need to say that because i hope it's constructive and not de and not uh you know doesn't just like make people feel dumb yeah and a big disclaimer is that neither of us are anywhere close to experts on the old testament and also most of what i say in this podcast and all the podcasts is just repeating what i've heard people who are smarter than me say it's just what i've gleaned from listening to other theology podcasts and reading books and sermons and stuff you know if, if we if we sound like mean at any point just pretend we're like talking about stephen furtick or something like i know he's i know he's taught we can be mean to him he is wrong that's okay right not not mean because we hate him (laughs) but mean because he's wrong and i'm not a fan of what he's you know how he's misleading people so i get i get fired up oh dear the 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 milk's a churning butter's coming grant excuse me (laughs) okay i don't know uh anyway so that brings us to the end of the podcast so grant as we always do uh what's been working for you lately oh gosh i thought about this (laughs) um and the only thing I could come up with um, lately, that makes it sound like my life is terrible. No, lots of things are going well. It's just when you ask me what's working for me, I try to think of like one specific thing that it's like, I've been trying this lately and I like it, you know? Um, and this one is kind of for the entire past six months or something, but my answer is tank tops. And the reason I say that is just because I never used to wear them, like, for a lot of my life. <laughs> That's true. I don't really know why. I just didn't have any, and I just didn't really want to. But then I tried one, and I was like, this is so comfortable in this Florida heat. And even in Alaska this summer, it was, you know, I talk about going to Alaska, and people are like, oh, isn't it cold there? But in the summer, when the sun comes out, it actually gets very warm. And this summer was one of the warmest on record. We had, like, three weeks that were just sunny and hot, and I just wish I had more tank tops because I only have, like, two. And then, like, one shirt that I cut to try to make it into a tank top, but I didn't do the best job, so it's a little too revealing. So it's not camp appropriate. I can wear it when I, like, work out or run when no one's watching. But I can't wear it around all day. So I really only have, like, two tank tops. But I want more because they're great. And especially right now when I'm in the lower 48 where it's much hotter, I wish I had more. So tank tops, they're great as long as they're not immodest. You know? Sounds good. Yeah, I, I have. I don't wear them to be immodest. I, I, I wear I them to wear be them comfortable. Them. Yeah, they help you, help you cool off for sure, and get rid of those t-shirt tans. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Oh gosh. So what's been working for you, Alec? Well, I'm glad you asked, Grant. Of course um, you are. <clears throat> I'm always glad that people ask me that. No one ever talks to me. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I think. Something that I'm looking around the room. I'm like, gosh, what's that? Is it, um, maybe, maybe that those shoes over there. Maybe like the, the couch. <laughs> About that, that that picture frame. It's been working. No, um, one thing that I thought about. One thing that's actually worked for me that I'm surprised is Lenovo customer support. So if you've ever had the misfortune to be on the phone with uh, Lenovo customer support, I greatly pity for you. Please email us. We will pray for you because they are the worst. Um, But more, more recently, I actually 
had something go right. Uh, Lenovo customer support and I have had kind of a rough relationship. I have directly told them that I think it would be immorally wrong for me to give them money because then I'd be encouraging what they do as a company. So like I've, I've been a little frustrated before, but, uh, uh, anyways, this more recent time, I was talking with one of the the reps, and I told them I have this product that isn't been working. It's like a little stylus pen for my for my laptop. What does Lenovo make exactly? Computers. Okay, and computer parts. This this laptop's on Lenovo. Okay, and so I, I got a little stylus pen for it because I wanted to have that for med school. I thought maybe that would be useful. I mostly use it for uh, drawing and things like that. But anyways, uh, it stopped working. And it was within the warranty period. So I was like, all right, I'll go. I'll see if they can send a new one. And so I talked to one person. They eventually basically just tell me they can't help me. I talked to another person. They give me another number to call. And so I call that number and tell them the problem. And they say, oh, did you buy that online? You need to talk to sales. And I said, they told me to come here. I'm not even sure that was true. And they said, oh, okay, let's help you with that. So I don't know why they didn't just start with helping. But anyways, long story short, they're just sending me another one for free. And I was kind of amazed. I didn't think that would actually happen because of the problems I've had before. So I love um, when that happens. I feel like a lot of companies do that now where if you say you have a problem, they'll send you a new one. I know. It's, it's amazing. It's good. I mean, people could abuse it, but I think it's it's just nice because yeah. this genuinely was the product just stopped working and it was supposed to do what it wouldn't do. Yeah. And, you know, it's whatever. That happened to me with my water bottle, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love my water bottle. In Brava, plug, this is, <laughs> this is turning into another mini what's working for me, but like um, in the spring, it was like right before I left for Alaska, but like my water bottle just a part on it broke that wasn't supposed to break. And I emailed them like, hey, can you just send me a new, like, can I just buy a new lid from you or like this little piece? And they were like, oh, we'll just send you a new one. Oh, that's nice. And yeah. So great company, great water bottles. I recommend yeah, that's them. Cool. And Bravo. Yeah. We don't get sponsored by anyone for this podcast. You know who has the best customer support I've ever talked to? Who? USAA. Really? They have phenomenal customer support. It's like there's always some just super nice person who like clearly loves their job on the other line. And Nice. Uh, Lenovo is full of people who hate themselves, <laughs> I think. <laughs> you can but hear the dread in their voices. You, you can. Or, or just like the general... Like, level of, like, how did I get here? Like, I, no, I, I mean, like, how did I get here as in they have no clue what they're doing. Like, oh, okay. They, they just don't know how how to do what they do. <laughs> um, yeah, this last time, I actually got a person who was, like, they were very helpful. They were very sassy, though. Like, everything was my fault. Like, I felt bad asking. Oh, I was like, yeah, by the way, I moved. I'm sorry. Like, I moved, though. I need to give you a new address. And she's like, oh, well, you should have told me that at the beginning. I was like, I didn't know. So, but at least she helped me. So I'm cool with that. Well, enough dumping on Lenovo and, and praising Abrava. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully we'll see you on the next one. See ya. Bye.